Hello. Hey. Hi. I actually found you and the message to join this recording in a weird way. Oh, how? Well, just so everyone out there knows, if you're using Anchor, you have to go into your podcast, and then you have to click in the upper right and go to your settings, and then that's where you'll see messages that other people have sent you. It looks like a little bell, and it has a little red dot by it when you have some kind of notification. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Well, let's get right to it then. Uh, we Welcome to the Rideshare podcast, and we are doing this episode on the road, so to speak. Uh, I'm Mark Smith of us, and I am here in Chautauqua, New York, at a very she-she interesting place called Chautauqua Institution. Um, and Karen, where are you? Uh, right now? I am in the very glamorous parking lot of a Wendy's in West Ashley, South Carolina, which is part of Charleston. Okay. Uh, So quick episode today, I think, where we're going to interview each other about our travels. Uh, As I said, I'm here in New York, and Karen, you are about to depart for a European trip. Is that correct? That is correct. Correct. I'm on countdown. I leave a week from today. Okay. So I think we're going to start with you, Karen, to uh, I'll let you take over and ask me some questions and then we'll flip it around and I will ask you some questions. Thank you. I I love turning the tables on you, Mark. So I appreciate it. Um, So I know that you went to Chautauqua five years ago. And this time around, you have observed and shared with me a little bit about what's kind of the same and what's a little bit different. But so I'd like to explore that, like what of note seems the same to you and what seems very different five years later from your personal lens. But uh, why don't you tell us why you went to Chautauqua in the first place and why you came back? Sure. Uh, So five years ago, a friend of ours told us about this really cool place in upstate New York called Chautauqua, and we didn't know anything about it, but she encouraged us to apply because they have this little-known scholarship where if you are uh, a moderate income and you've never been here before, you can apply, and they basically uh, pay, they'll offer you a scholarship and pay all the costs for you to come here uh, minus travel. Um, for most of people who aren't aware, to come here and pay full freight at Chautauqua, you're spending literally thousands of dollars because you have to pay to, to even enter the grounds. There are classes, there's uh, children's schools, there's all kinds of activities. It's set on a very um, tranquil lake and uh, cars are not allowed on the grounds. Um, there's no trash, and and then they bring in all these world-class uh, thinkers of the day to give talks, and then at night there are symphonies and, and other, um, you know, entertainment events. So we applied, and we were accepted, and we had a terrific time five years ago, and I've always wanted to come back since, and it's taken us five years to be able to come back 
on our own and, and pay the full price to be here. So, uh, yeah, it's a, at, at five years ago, I called this place an American utopia. And I, I will post links to my essays and blog about why I felt it is that type of place. But it, it's sort of a unique place where, where, you know, everyone is civil and nice to each other. And it's sort of the, the highest ideals of what we could be as, as an American culture. So I've, I've always wanted to come back and I just wanted to see if, if I still felt the same way about it, given everything that's gone on in our country. And, you know, five years ago, Obama was president and, you know, my kids were younger. So I, I wanted to view it through a, a cultural lens as well as a, a personal lens. Mm-hmm. So first of all, note to self. I'm going to apply <laughs> to go yes. next year. Yes, it please. sounds wonderful. I feel like everybody listening should do that. Um, and, you know, you and I have, have been friends for a really long time, but some years we're in touch pretty well and some years we aren't. But I do remember you going five years ago and then I kind of forgot about it. And I said to you last month, oh, why are you going to New York? And then you, you know, you brought that up. But it is interesting. We're in a totally different political climate now than we were five years ago. And so um, let's get to that question of what seems the same and what seems really different to you this time. Well, what's this, what is the same is that it's still a very relaxed place full of intellectual thinkers. And it, it's a very spiritual place, um, which differentiates it from like going to the Aspen Ideas Festival or a TED Talk in that there are a lot of religious denominations that maintain homes here. And so there's a, in between all the talks, there's, there's, you know, prayer circles, there's meditation, you know, there's all different types and, and it's not the evangelical, you know, Bible thumping kind. It's, it's, it's a very soft, you know, progressive form of, of spirituality. Um, so all that's still there, and my kids still have this sense of freedom that they can wander around the grounds and leave their bikes unlocked. Um, that's all still here. W- what I think is different is that in the, in the five years, you know, we have now Trump in office and a, a society that's more polarized than ever. And so um, I, I view things here slightly. Like one of the things is, is to get on the grounds, you have to scan your pass to, to get in and get out. And the first time, I never really thought much about that. Um, now I think about it in terms of exclusion, uh, privilege, and, and inequality. Uh, I, I chatted with a gentleman who's lived here his whole life, and he mentioned to me that once you get outside of the grounds here, um, this is one of the poorest counties in New York State and possibly in the country. Wow. So, yeah, you know, so I, I can't help but think that, you know, there's some sort form of resentment or, you know, there, there's a power inequity between the people who can afford to come here and the people who may work behind the scenes to, to support the people that come here. 
it kind of, it kind of makes like, I just had a thought run through my head of like, utopia is only for people who can afford it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, like I I noticed, cause I'm, you know, I'm a science fiction nerd and, and I've watched all the Marvel superhero movies and it's, it's a, it's a common trope in those films that whenever you have some sort of utopian, egalitarian society, um, underneath it, there is some form of, you know, authoritarianism that, you know, to support a, a perfect world, you got to have like the workers, the slaves or the other. Yeah. Or you have um, to exclude everyone so that they don't mess up your utopia. Yeah, and like um, it's it's been some of the best talks that I've attended have come from people of color, women, and those who are under forty. Uh, and Chautauqua, the I think the average age here is like sixty-five. I, I know. I, mostly, I yeah, mostly white. You, yeah, you emailed me about some um, rowdy, not rowdy, but. Um... I forget what you said, senior citizens. Um, and, and we could talk about that all day because I think that sounds funny and fun. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, I saw on Facebook and on your um, blog space, your creative space for sharing about this trip that you have attended some very weighty talks is there any talk that you'd like to tell us about today yes uh yesterday i attended a talk by bill mckibben who is a famous writer and environmental activist he's the founder of 350.org which is a a global network of activists you know trying to stop uh, climate change and it, it was very sobering because you know, no matter what your issue is, if it's, you know, women's rights or racial equality or, you know, education reform or, or whatnot, you know, all, all of that doesn't really matter if we don't have a planet that's habitable. And he paints a very stark picture that we only have a, a very a few number of years left to reverse the amount of carbon in our environment. And it's going to take, um, he literally said, you know, to, to the crowd of senior citizens, it's like, you know, are you willing to get arrested and put in jail? Because look, you know, you guys are in the twilight of your, you know, careers. Like, what does it matter if you get arrested, right? You know, it's as opposed to like if you're 22 and that might ruin your life, you know, down the road. Right. So it, it was very sobering. Um, and, you know, because there, there's a time, there's a, there's a finite amount of time left it's like a ticking clock whereas you know in, in other social issues of the day, incremental improvements and you know that's great you lower the confederate flag great yeah, that was a nice step but you know once once it's there's too much carbon then it can't be reversed right so uh two things first of all while you were telling uh me and the listening audience about climate crisis and the talk you heard yesterday, I was looking in my rearview mirror and watching someone else in this parking lot throw litter out of their car. Um, So that was an interesting moment, just to give everybody a visual. Um, 
I read something recently, like maybe uh, it was recent as this past week, about the ticking clock uh, feeling that we all have. And I started to think the ticking clock is almost um, a misnomer or uh, the wrong way to think about this because people are arguing, people spend time, they waste breath and time and energy talking about how many weeks or months or years are on this ticking clock and how long do we really have? And you see a lot about that. And this, uh, this piece that I saw said that there are some scientists now saying that in some areas we have like 20 months to really start doing something drastic or the snowball effect, you know, will just have already taken us halfway down the mountain. Um, and so I, I, I had this moment of feeling like, stop talking about this ticking clock. Like, we do all need to go out and get arrested. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, where the, the climate movement is, is now going is, is trying to interfere with the company, the oil and gas industry, and make it very painful for them. For example, you know, the, the Trans-Canada Pipeline um, thing where now you know they're not going to build the pipeline or divesting monies from those companies um, you know m- more direct confrontation because you know realizing that just protesting you know downtown isn't going to isn't going to well, do it you know it kind of uh, the next thought I'm going to try to connect here is it kind of goes back to the um power and socioeconomic inequity that you're observing this time around where you are and and in that uh tomorrow's livability um is only going to be for the people that can afford it and i feel really heavy-hearted and heavy-brained about this whole issue because just today i read read to my mom a headline of the country of australia has approved a multi-year, multi-decade contract with an Indian company that, that's going to extract coal. Um, and so I would feel like you make, you know, you make a stride in one area or in one country or location, and then something's happening halfway around the globe that is going to destroy the carbon footprint. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, that's why I think this, you know, he was showing all these photos, uh, they have had uh, some form of protest in every country in the world except North Korea. And, uh, you know, because many of the people in these countries are realizing that it affects them. You know, something that happens around the world could possibly affect them. So um, what's coming up is uh, there's going to be a, a... children's protest uh, there's a swedish activist a girl named greta thunberg who is leading this call for kids to basically boycott school until grown-ups do something about climate change the 20th is going to be a, a big um, school strike it's it's a friday so you know it's interesting because a lot of the kids, you know, making a moral argument that, you know, you guys have ruined the world for us. I mean, you guys are going to (laughs) die, you know, before all this really 
the S hits the fan, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, oh um, yeah. So we could we could go down that path when you interview me because you know part of me trying to live the life I want to live right now is I think I've already become a a, a real fatalist when it comes to thinking mm-hmm. about this topic, and I don't have kids, but I you know ag- against my wishes, <laughs> my brother had a child and I now adore my little niece. So I, I feel like I still have some of that stewardship for her and her generation, but um, it's not looking so great. Yeah. Um, we decided we were going to flip this and I think um, I've gone over my allotted time. So is now a good time to switch it roles? Is. Before we flip, um yeah just to put a punctuation on us learning more about chautauqua new york and the institute uh tell us mark what is one of the most memorable interesting funny or bizarre things that has happened to you and your family at chautauqua oh uh hmm Silence. I'm going to... <laughs> Memorable, interesting, or fun. Um, or weird. Or just interesting. Oh, gosh. Uh, I put you on the spot. You know what? You can start interviewing me, and then when something comes to mind, you can go ahead and interject. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's a good idea. Um, okay. So let's switch hats here. And Karen, I know uh, based on our friendship and and knowing sort of what you've been up to this year, um, you recently went on sort of on the road, leaving your hometown and um, traveling up to the East Coast, Boston, and you visited me in Chicago. Uh, And now I find that you are about to go on another trip overseas. So I just wanted to start and say, like, what's this travel thing go that you got going on here? <laughs> um, I didn't realize this when it all started. Back in January, I started cooking up the idea. I left on February 10th for what I called my Charleston sabbatical to kind of get away from Charleston while doing some telecommuting. Uh, I didn't realize it back then. But it turns out, as I look back now and look forward, 2019 seems to be the year for me to test the waters of being semi-nomadic and seeing if being a telecommuter and a contract employee who does a variety of different gigs is going to work for me long term. Um, Mm -hmm. I love to travel. I don't have a good retirement savings. Um. And I definitely don't live a traditional lifestyle of owning property and having a spouse and kids, Uh, but I do have family obligations. So I realized a little over a year ago that a lot of people from our generation, Mark, just aren't going to be able to retire. Definitely not at 65 or younger, like our parents maybe have been able to. So I thought to myself, in lieu of retiring, how can I live life 
the way I want to starting sooner than retirement age. Um, and so that mm-hmm. would be some form of traveling and freelancing and putting my all into work at sometimes during the, at some of the, um, during some of the year and then putting my all into traveling for some of the year. Uh, mm-hmm. So right now I, I, I would say this is all like a pilot program. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, like I was mentioning to you before we started recording, I, I had to scramble to find a place where we could record this podcast. Um, any thoughts on like, how has the being on the road, like what challenges have you had as far as remote work or the, the projects that you're working on? Sure. Well, you know, Wi-Fi and um, spaces to do remote work, of course, are more prevalent uh, than ever. But one of the big hurdles to doing this, which I think will be true always, is, is the Wi-Fi connection reliable? You know, is the space I'm in reliable, uh, a reliable facility? If I'm doing a recording, because I record a podcast for work, what's the background noise going to be like where I'm at? Or what's the tone of the audio going to sound like? And another big thing that I'm finding now, because I'm about to leave, um, I'm flying in and out of Boston. So I'll be in Boston at both ends of my trip. But I'm going to Paris and then the coast of France and then London. And I have a, an older laptop. It, it really needs to be replaced, which might happen next week. We'll see. Um, but hauling around a laptop, a full-size computer and headset for recording podcasting, it can be a little cumbersome. So I think I'm on a quest to find the best technology um, that can still allow me to pack light. So that's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. And are, are you going to, you plan to work while you're away in Europe? I am taking my first week, which is the five nights in Paris at the beginning of the trip. And I'm going to play tourist, uh, put my devices away, except for probably taking photographs on my phone, and maybe doing personal social media. And I'm going to truly take that week off. Um, so that'll mm-hmm. feel good. And then when I'm on the coast, um, I'm not much of a beach goer because I, I burn really easily. So I'm going to work for part of each day when I'm on the coast and just kind of enjoy the vibe of this cute little coastal city. Um, it's, it's interesting. I'm from, for people who don't know it, I, I grew up in my middle school and high school years in Myrtle Beach. And this place kind of looks like the Myrtle Beach of France, if France ever did anything that was even close to Myrtle Beach. (laughs) Um, Not that it's tacky or anything, it just looks a little bit more like a a little kick around beach town. Um, But it's cute. And of course, unlike America, everything there is like 800 years old. So... Um, Mm -hmm. And then when, I, when, I, when yeah, I'm in was, London, I am going to also telecommute a little bit and mix that with being a tourist. Okay. Yeah, I noticed because um, my, my daughter um, went to a tour in Spain this earlier this summer. And while she was there, you know, we had these daily um, Instagram, YouTube videos sort of recapping what they did each day. And it, it wasn't just like, shaky handheld amateur stuff i mean it was a really slick video 
because they were able to bring their own video person there on <laughs> tour with them. Um, so it, it was, I mean, it was cool for me because I could kind of see what they were doing. Um, here at Chautauqua, you know, even though it was only five years ago, there wasn't as much like Wi-Fi and, you know, connectivity. And the, the difference here, um, I, the job that I have now, you know, I have specific apps on my phone that I need to do the work. And I found myself checking those apps, even though I'm on vacation and I didn't have to, just to see what all the drama and squabbles was going on back at work. You know, I would get these notifications and, um, you know, I, it, it's harder in some sense to, to disconnect from social media and, and all the stuff going on in the world now. Um, so I was wondering, like, are you intentionally trying to like shut off or to what extent are you going to be, you know, checking in and stuff like that while you're on the road? Karen, are you? Hello? Are we back on? I believe we are. I apologize to you and the listeners. It was oh. all my fault. No, I- no worries. I was holding the phone up to my head and accidentally it hit the button for me to get on a Wi-Fi network and uh, that made my reception go away. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a single traveler on this trip, so I'm not going to go out and about without my cell phone on me. That would just be a bad move in this day and age. But I, I think I might uninstall um, social media apps from my phone and see how much I'm jonesing to connect. And um, I'm going to stay in touch with my family once a day by either calling them or using WhatsApp. So. Okay. And like what my goal from here spending the week was, you know, I wanted to be able to, to work on personal creative stuff. I called it a personal arts residency. Um, do you plan to do anything like that while you're on the road? You know, every time I travel, I set goals for trying to do creative writing and working on personal creative projects. And I almost always let myself down by not producing anything or much of anything. So I'm just going to give myself a break for this trip. Um, All in all, I'm going to be gone for almost a month with my uh, with my Boston bookends of this trip. And um, I haven't mapped any of that out, which is unlike me. We're going to see what happens. Well, you will, you'll be taking photos, right? Absolutely. And I'm a terrible photographer, but everybody's welcome to look at them. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. An Instagram account might be the easiest thing to do. Yes, I am on Instagram and Facebook. I, I tend to post more on Facebook, I think, because I'm old. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I should probably post more on Instagram for this. I'm sorry. I, I just sneezed. That's probably going to be on the recording. Um, That's all right. All right. Well, um, 
I think we're near the end of, of our time limit for this podcast. So um, I, I've been thinking about your question at the end of your segment, um, and no, nothing weird or strange has popped into my head. The only thing that I can think of is that Chautauqua is this weird place where you never know who it is that you're speaking with. Uh, I went to go see an exhibit at the archives here and the elderly gentleman who put together this exhibit, you know, was really nice, talked about it. And then I sort of randomly found out later that he is a retired scholar who's a world expert in John Wesley, which of course I had oh. to Google who is John Wesley. And you know, for our listeners, he's the founder of Methodism or, you know, the yes. even, even my atheist self knows that. Oh, okay. Well, hey, <laughs> yeah. kudos, kudos to you. So I mean, it, that's been a whole week of that. We, we've been sharing a house with some other um, folks and, you know, I've met people who are former head of a public utility, uh, a woman who ran a hospital, uh, just, you know, people who have done really interesting things in their lives. But, you know, here they're just sort of like the person sitting next to you at a lecture. What do you think all of these? So clearly there's a thread that all these people have in common. A lot of the people who attend, mm -hmm. what do you think they're looking for? Uh, I, I mean, some people call this place like, um, and, and, you know, Ted talks for the NPR crowd or adult day camp. Um, <laughs> I think people, the tradition is people are sort of seeking answers to the questions of the day, which don't necessarily have a, a easy answer. So it's kind of a place for contemplation, reflection, um, and sort of develop self-improvement on many different levels, you know, physical, spiritual, intellectual. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's like a retreat center um, that they can go to sort of like, you know, I said in the beginning, it, it's a utopia. So the people who come a lot live in urban areas around here, like Baltimore, D.C., New York. Boston, and they just come here as, as an antidote to all the, the problems of the big city and the mm -hmm. stressors of the urban environment. Um, yeah. You know, I, it's, you can get all this intellectual stuff elsewhere. I mean, the, the people, one of the guys who came a few weeks ago was Ira Glass, you know, from This American Life. Oh, yes. And, you know, I was bummed that I missed him, but, you know, he, he went, he came through Chicago also and basically gave the same talk. So it's, you know, it's not necessarily the, the people because you can get all that online now. But I think it's, it's the mix of, of, you know, hearing the talks, the spiritual reflection, the, the, the tranquil environment, all those things combined together and. I, something that I find it, it's hard to find in the Midwest, which is why we made the trek uh, out here for it. So are you going to have a couple of days of fun in Manhattan before you trek back? 
Well, uh, my wife's friend, good friend, lives out on Long Island. So yes, we were invited by them. Um, we're mostly going to stay away from the city, but I am trying to convince my daughter to go to the Brooklyn Art Museum. Ah, oh, yeah. Uh, Brooklyn is Brooklyn is kind of like the the Logan Square of New York. <laughs> so it's you know something maybe a little calmer, more hipsters, more cafes. Uh, have you? Well, have, have you, you know. I have not been to the museum in Brooklyn, no. But Brooklyn's okay. cool, and you know, I I love New York too. I can't help it. Um, it's so it is stinky. It's stinky in the summer. It smells bad in the summer. So okay. Well, all all I all remember the last time we were there is, you know, you cannot stop. Like if you're trying to get on the subway or on a platform or walking around Times Square. Like if, if you stop for one second to like look around or turn around, like you're going to get trampled. So that like is correct. Yeah. Constantly moving. And, and I don't know, it, it's a shock, come go, you know, to go from this to New York city. So. That, that's true. That's true. Um, well, I hope you guys have an awesome, awesome, bleh, awesome rest of your trip. Uh, I look forward to seeing more of what you create on your creative spaces, Mark Smith of You're always doing cool stuff. Yeah, well, thank you, Karen. And I hope that you find uh, a way to incorporate some of these things on your trip, even though you're going to disconnect. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, this this was an episode about, you know, summer travel and vacation and reflection so you've got two what you said a month uh one week and then yeah i'm staying for a month almost a month okay yeah. well i i can't imagine not hearing from you for a month so we'll <laughs> oh you'll to, be hearing from me <laughs> yeah we'll have to figure something out um we shall maybe you'll run into some like spanish boyfriend or something Hey, this has nothing to do with Spanish boyfriends, but a friend of mine is supposed to be taking me to Parliament on, of all days, on September 11th. Um, that's when we're supposed to go. So, oh, uh, that'll be interesting. And I don't know where we are at with the Brexit vote, uh, the most recent round of that, but it'll be interesting to uh, observe British politicians. Okay, maybe a Hugh Grant boyfriend. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. thank you for thank you for uh, agreeing to be on our episode. As always, we should basically just make you a permanent co-host. I think. I don't know. I'm down with that. If yeah. I, you know, when you co-host one podcast, then I feel like you can just add more on, and there's kind of like a diminishing marginal utility of like it not being a big deal. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye.